you are listening to the empowering indian expats podcast if you are an indian living abroad feeling stuck in an average 9 to 5 or a job or business that's not helping you reach your full potential this is the podcast to tune in where you will find your role models and learn from their dream struggle victory stories this is your host ehsan ali a long time it professional living in sydney australia who has made it his mission to find and unpack the stories the strategies and life lessons of successful and inspiring indian expats to help you and i reach our full potential i'm very excited to introduce you to our guest chirag joshi chirag is a cybersecurity and technology leader and a best selling author what's special about chirag is he represents the new age professional who has understood that old paradigm of linear career path is not the only way to grow rather there are other much more fulfilling ways to build a career today chirag is head of cyber security at a leading financial institution in sydney he is also a trainer and speaker what i want to get out of this conversation with chirag is the various decisions and turning points in building his career that could potentially help someone like you create a career breakthrough so without further ado let's talk to chirag Hi Chirag. Hello Hassan. How are you today? I am doing great and I am excited to be here. I am genuinely excited. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, it is a conversation I've actually been looking forward to all week. Thank you man. Thank you for uh, coming on the Empowering Indian Expats podcast and uh, you are pretty unique in the way I'm going to about to share with you why I feel you are very unique for uh, this uh, episode. So so far I've been interviewing people who have transitioned from corporate to entrepreneurship but when I started this podcast the intention was to talk to two kind of people one uh, who took the entrepreneurial path at some point in time and they successfully transitioned so I wanted to bring in those stories and second type was people who are still in corporate world but they have been able to break that uh, myth or ceiling that if you come to a different country you will get stuck at certain level and in there i found again two kind of people one who broke that ceiling got into the cxo roles and the other one which i'm really really excited about which is the breed you are part of are people who are creating their own niche in the employment world where you are an employee but you are not really working as an employee you are actually an entrepreneur uh, in your own way so you do things your own way you have your own personal brand and you pretty much do everything which a small business or an entrepreneur should do today so that's my excitement to bring your story uh, to our audience no absolutely and, and i'm delighted to be part of the conversation it's an important conversation for us to have that we live now in a world where there is not one linear path and i think there are multiple paths to achieving professional success personal success and 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 there is uh, to to your point about different different people you meet and different people you've spoken to i'm sure everybody has a story to tell but a lot of the limitations we tend to impose are on ourselves and they are not necessarily true in terms of what what we need to do and what we need to aspire for 
Yeah, perfect, man. So let's use your story to break yeah. uh, some of these myths and uh, paradigms and things that don't work anymore, and a lot of people are stuck in there. So, in brief, what I know about you, Chirag, is today you are the uh, head of uh, AMP Cybersecurity um, Department. Uh, you have an engineering background. You went to US to do your masters, and then you got like every other IT uh, guy. You got into whatever you were doing in the early days and slowly you moved on to from infrastructure to security and then you built a career in security and uh, you moved to australia about six years back and uh, you know it's been a journey all through in cyber security and uh, you also have a book on your name is, is that a good enough summary it is it is a good enough okay. summary it, so it, let's it, let's start from uh, the time you decided to go to us i mean that would be a good start so what were you doing before you decided to go to us for masters i had just graduated uh, from my got my engineering degree in india so i was in, born and raised in mumbai so i just got my bachelor's in electronics and telecommunications engineering so that was a, a important step as we know but it was interesting that prior to that also Done a short stint working in Malaysia and Vietnam, and this was uh, just after my diploma in digital electronics. So yeah, it was uh, something not related to cyber or or IT even for most part. It was uh, it was just something which was around a completely different world in oil and gas industry. It was I was it was essentially a positioning specialist, a trainee positioning specialist, and really what that does uh, part of a a work where you if i had to put it simply you are exploring uh, exploring for potential oil in the ocean and and it was in in that industry so it was just on the back of my my diploma which i done in uh, digital electronics so it was obviously not for a long time so for a short time but it looks but like I, an interesting you know, uh, endeavor man <laughs> it was it was quite an adventure and i was i was very young at that time so at at that age to pretty much be by yourself work in uh, a different country definitely a great experience and an adventure that's how i remember it so you worked in malaysia and vietnam is it yeah yeah the the, the training was was in malaysia and then the work was in vietnam but that's that's awesome that's nothing yeah. to do with engineering though not really directly tied to it per se and it was it was i mean the technical background helped but but nowhere near where i am now in terms of it cyber security networking not really that wasn't the core skill set required there so you did it for a while then came back and then went to us yeah so i i i completed my i completed my engineering degree so i got my bachelor's in engineering and then i moved to the states yes what was the thought process when you decided to go to us like everybody yeah. else no, i want to um, have more education and a job in us or more than that you know to be honest with you i i wasn't i wasn't necessarily focused on just going to the states i mean that wasn't always my plan in fact that happened quite later and and it came from from just thinking ahead and actually this is where another thing we'll we'll talk about at some point during our chat is the importance of of guidance and and mentors in your life and the people you you meet and engage with and the ideas they they plant in your head which then bloom in different ways right so i think this came out of a a conversation i had with with a good friend of my my dad's and and his and his children had pursued a similar path in in terms of going to the states and and i i naturally my my 
thought process has been, I, I don't want to follow the conventional thought, right? That's always been how I've been since, since a very young age. I don't know why, but I, I, I sometimes just resist the conventional thought. And I always wanted to ask, why is, like, why? Why would you decide to do that? And, and just kind of talking that through in terms of, it's not just about uh, money or it's not just about going uh, and, and working in a different country. It's actually more than that. It's, it's growing as a person, getting more experiences, which you otherwise wouldn't necessarily get because life in Mumbai wasn't, wasn't bad. It was good life, good friends, good family. I didn't have much to complain there, but I think the idea that you, you, you go past the comfort zone into something different, which, which yeah. I had done a little bit through my, my work after my diploma, this actually was, was, was something that I factored in. And when I decided to go to the States, it wasn't necessarily going to the, the big city, so to speak. I actually got my master's at Oklahoma State University, and I got my master's in telecommunications management. So a hybrid between an engineering degree, which is very technical, but also business degree. So I always, I call myself a bit of a social engineer in terms of not in cybersecurity, social engineering, but I'm a very social person. I've always been, I, I enjoy being around people, having conversations. So typically you don't associate that with very technical engineers who, who yeah. for whatever reason, have been branded as being introverts, which is not yeah. always true. True. But so I always thought that I wanted to, you know, have the business element to things of, of being able to talk that language. And, and that is where my journey took me to Oklahoma. And, and, and which is why it's interesting because the U.S. is a big country. The coast, California, New York, the life is, is different than the middle of America. And Oklahoma especially is, is still a rural state. I mean, in terms of, uh, of how the people are, the culture dramatically different than you will find on the coasts. Everything is different. And I think you pick up a lot of things living in that area. That fundamentally shaped uh, my thinking in many different ways. I got into interests I wouldn't have otherwise. So, For, so for just, example? Well, I in when I was growing up in Mumbai, I have never ever at that point done any time of country western dancing or line dancing. And that's something I, I got really good at in Oklahoma. Wow, I started, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have my cowboy hat. I have my my cowboy boots. All of the gear. And actually, if I say so myself, I became quite good at it. Another thing I started doing was obviously growing up in India. I, I played cricket from from a very young age. Enjoyed, still enjoyed. But I, I when I went to the states, especially in Oklahoma, I started to get involved with college football. And that is American football, American NFL, football. NFL, NCAA. And actually started playing the sport too, and not just watching it. And and that just and I made, made friends and connections through that, who I otherwise would have never met through a university environment or through a work environment. And, and those social interactions too triggered so many different ideas in my mind, which ended up helping my career. So all of this to speak that sometimes you should seek an adventure, which you know is going to be out of the comfort zone. While I had not planned it all out, but going to the US and, and making that determination, it just kind of worked out quite well. And I think about it in terms of the city I picked and, and, the, and the university I picked. That's nice, uh, Chirag. And you can connect the dot uh, backward only, as Steve Jobs says. So now when you look back, you see those decisions, how it has shaped your thinking and hence yeah. career. So wonderful. Good to good to know these experiences. And it's really important for everybody to think, if we just go to work and come back, we are not getting exposed enough. And however smart we are, we will have very limited thought process. And that's where we get stuck. So yeah. very good. So you went there, you did your master's. And how was getting a job after master's there? It's easy, straight, or like in here where people are struggling to get a job after master's? 
Yeah, that is a very good question. And I'll tell you, it was, I don't know if it was, it was ever going to be easy per se, but it became extremely hard for one reason. It was the year I graduated, I was, uh, was the year of the global financial crisis. 2008. Yes. And that is where the, we had the, the Lehman Brothers collapse. And that was a tough, tough, tough time, as we all know. But if you think about it as a student just graduating, right? There are no jobs and there are no opportunities, especially for you know somebody who's who's kind of starting out, right? Essentially, I've done some work as part of my internships and as part of my my experience within the university context. So I, it wasn't as if I was completely green, but you know it's a different environment, and and that is where the first kind of lesson came in, right? Is is that resilience aspect? You you think of all these things now, but at that time you don't think that I'm being resilient. But just something within you where you start to realize that it's not going to be easy. It's not, there is no blueprint for this. This has not happened in, in at least at that point in, in my in my lifetime, right? At that age of a global financial crisis of this nature. There was a 2000.com bubble burst, but that was yeah. very different than this, which yeah. impacted everyone. And, and I think that is where I ended up getting a good opportunity, luckily. But, you know, when you, you start out, I, I it was a role which... At that, two years back, similar roles were paying a lot more than this role was, in my view. And But you do, you, that's where you have to decide that as money is always going to be a factor. I think uh, we'd, be, we'd be lying if we say money doesn't matter. Money does matter. But there is more to it than that. I think there is more to it than that because you need to build a, a foundation, a solid foundation, an environment where you can learn and thrive. And I think that is a conscious decision I made is, uh, look... Is this perfect? No, it's not. But it's an amazing opportunity for the times I am in. And I think that is where I, I got fortunate. I got a, got a role right before I graduated. So after I graduated, I immediately started working. I count my blessings there. But it was a tough time. And I know a lot of people did it tough. And, and some people came back to India who I knew. Uh, some people decided to just continue studying while the economy improved. I made a decision. I was going to work. I was not just going to extend my studies because I had gone in for a specific reason and I thought it was time that, you know, I put that into actual practice. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Let me share my thought in here. What's not working for fresh graduates? Uh, most people are just focusing on getting a job. Yeah. And that kind of does not help them in building themselves up yeah. in terms of skills because organizations want somebody who's ready to start from day one, whether you were a student or lateral hire, that doesn't really matter. And second, if you just focused on getting a job and getting stressed about it, you never found out a way to network with people who are already on those jobs uh, and who could be your hiring managers. So a lot of people I have mentored who are studying, I said, forget about job. Think about getting to people whom you will work with. Yeah. Okay, ask questions, what they like, what they do not like, what's the challenge in what they do. Uh, be excited uh, connecting with as many of them and your internship will come from there, your job will also come from there. Even this afternoon, I had a conversation with a guy, he said, I got this internship because I did following things. So if somebody is thinking uh, university will get you a job or job post portals will get you a job, no. And if you apply for a job and try to get it, you are fighting for the 20% lift out jobs 
Okay, sure. I mean it's it's very difficult. So the best way is to connect with the professionals, and yes, there will be a resistance in the beginning. You know, it's it's tough to just go out and put yourself there and speak to people who are way ahead of you. But once you do once or twice, you know, it's 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 easy. Nobody is going to bite. <laughs> that is such a good point, right? And, and and to be honest, I think it has become easier now, and I, that's why uh, to your point, when I I often get uh, you know contacted by students. And and I and and my my advice is we didn't I don't think we had LinkedIn in this format we do today. So for you to make connections, you had to you know go through your you know your career centers in the universities. You relied on them. You had your informal networks. You you did something. But now the world has changed. It is so much easier. And look, when you approach people, it's not you know I'm not saying everybody else will get back to you, right? And you don't just say I need a job, right? I mean to your point. Uh, don't think of it as a job. Look, I, I'm empathetic to, to people's situation. It's it's fair to say that, look, that's the first thing in your mind. And if you come with financial circumstances that, that, that dictate that you need to quickly start you know, making money, I, I, I get it. But even then, so, like if you start early while you are in university and, and you actually start to your point, build connections, and have a have a focused way of talking to people, yes. right? Don't just and don't just approach them out of the blue. Just put in some effort as to why. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work, right? Because that individual has fifty other things going on and has perhaps hundred other people reaching out to them for their time. So be respectful of your time. Just just right. go in and, and and go and show that to your point. Show the energy. Show that yes. you actually done some some background work and yes. and you're trying to make most of the conversation. Yes. No, good. Very good. So let's move from there. So you got a job. You started working in infrastructure uh, area, yeah. right? You, you were mostly yeah, so working. I was, I was essentially, uh, as a systems analyst, I was, I was actually looking after the whole suite of it, right? So uh, network, uh, systems, administration, had elements of security, but not, you know, highly focused there. So it started off as, as an infrastructure role. And then sometimes... Success breeds success, right? So when you start doing your basic work, okay, I got an opportunity to work in the security side, which was at that time, it's called PCI DSS, Payment Card Industry Data Security Standard, which is now, uh, you know, a global standard for accepting payment cards. But it was in its nascency back then. And, And I got an opportunity to do that work for, as part of my infrastructure system administration analysis role. And, and that is when I actually started to get more and more involved in, in, in cybersecurity. It wasn't called cybersecurity back then. It was called information security, information IT security. security. Yeah. There was no uh, CISO role also at that time, I guess. No, it was a very different time, right? I mean, it was the whole the whole cybersecurity term is, is, is a fairly recent term in its right. And, and the elevation of, of cybersecurity is a discipline all by itself away necessarily from IT, I think that's that's a quite a recent phenomenon. Yeah, so it I wasn't know. the case back then. Back I then know. it was all bundled into one. And when you were saying back then, we were just talking about 10 years I back. Mean, exactly. And the, year, and the world's changed in 10 years, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, that that time, was, when was the first iPhone? Around that time, right? It was just the time the first iPhone had come. Just think about it. Like the first smartphone, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and, and now here we are. It, it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long yeah. ago. Yeah. One question comes uh, in my mind. I'm not into cybersecurity, but I I really like to know from people who love cybersecurity. For me, you are going to trouble somebody in in organizations, right? So you do audit, you ensure things are working well. So you're kind of uh, disappointing a lot of people who are not doing the right thing. 
right? So you become a policeman kind of thing. So uh, what's, what's exciting for you in cybersecurity? And I will go into detail of what all you have done. But in early days, what did you really like in cybersecurity? That's such a good point, right? I mean, and that is actually one of the, the fundamental things that, that I have tried to, you know, change thinking on with regards to cybersecurity is essentially that, you know, we, we rather than being, you know, the policemen, we're actually the enablers of, of, of helping the business. And I'll give you an example, right? Why I got excited about this. So I was talking about that PCI DSS uh, you know, thing, right? The idea is if you were compliant with that standard, you were now able to do a lot more as a business, right? And if your strategy relied on you accepting payment cards, going down that road, this was a, a kind of the founding stones for that, right? So, so I think it's, if you think about cybersecurity now, and you think about, I always, when I talk about cybersecurity, I first talk about, forget forget cybersecurity for a second. Think about your business, right? Today, we we have this pandemic underway. You know, we're in Sydney, you know, it's a lockdown here. We're still able to communicate. We're still able to run our businesses. We're still able to serve customers, actually keep our sanity by talking to our friends virtually at least, right? All of this is made possible by technology. Businesses can function because of technology. And, and, and for us to continue this, we need to trust the technology. And that is what cybersecurity does. It allows that trust in technology. And, and when you think about it from that perspective, and you tell that's a competitive advantage when people can trust your services, they know when they engage with you that they're going to be secure. That is a powerful incentive. And I think that is the role of cybersecurity. It is not just playing the bad cop, which is from time to time, you need to you need to get assurance, enforce. But, but the role, the, the true power of cybersecurity comes when you actually enable business. When for a company, if they want to go highly digital, and that's their strategy, they're changing from the old school way to just doing direct to consumer, they will rely on a heavy digital presence, which inadvertently needs solid, solid cybersecurity for people to be, feel comfortable giving their payment cards or, or giving their personal information in this world where we're so concerned now about privacy ever than before. So I think that is how I see cybersecurity. I, I see like, it as enabling. I really like the way you put it and uh, even uh, the picture has changed in my mind. So now I look at cybersecurity as something that will remove my fear and that's something which will create relief in me and yes. it's something which will give me confidence to move forward without really having that tension in mind. No, because yeah. you said there's a money transaction happening. There's a lot of risk for a business as well as for its clients. So you very beautifully turned it around. So when you decided to get deep in cybersecurity, were these some of the reasons that were exciting you to keep moving forward? Yeah, look, there was a, a bunch of it. So I think it, what, what I started enjoying was the role that cyber played at, at that stage and, and information security played. But then I was fortunate enough from Oklahoma, I moved to Colorado and I got a really good opportunity uh, to work now, now in a specialized cyber role, like a specialized information security role. Whereas previously it, that my role was not 100% on information security. This was now, this was different. And in this role, I actually wasn't just doing technical bits. I was actually informed, in, involved with strategy, policies, the frameworks, the overall approach and seeing it more holistically. And, and that is where I started to get involved with a lot of other folks, not in IT. These are legal, these are auditors, these are risk people, communication, marketing people. And then that is where the picture of cyber came together. It's like how big this is and it's so much more than just technology. And, and that rule opened up you know, my mind to like just learning so much more. 
Uh, so you have, you know, what in, in IT and cyber is called e-discovery, electronic discovery. And that's basically when you're producing evidence uh, in code, it needs to have a chain of custody. It needs to be, it needs to have certain integrity and protections, right? For it to be admissible as evidence. And now that happens in, in the legal world, but you have a role to play. And when you just start thinking about all the different aspects involved with cybersecurity and all the real life implications of it, I think that is what makes it so much exciting to me. And that is where I started getting deeper and deeper into the field. And lucky enough, it wasn't just deep in one domain of cyber, but just across the patch in different aspects. So I always believed, and this is just something which I, I tell people like when they come to me for advice is, I said, just think about it holistically. Try to get yeah. an understanding end-to-end. You sold cyber security to me just now. <laughs> I'm sorry, what I, is that? I, you sold me the whole cyber security concept. And I got really <laughs> excited by what you said, getting into yeah. mind of different business stakeholders and legal and finance and everybody yeah. and getting a holistic picture of business and how uh, information security uh, could uh, impact them or could in- enable them. I, I, I can understand that. So that's where the excitement comes from. If I were you and if I were in that situation, I would have been equally excited. That's fantastic. And uh, you did that for another three, four years and then uh, you moved to Sydney. And I'm about to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, did you write the book back in US or you wrote the book after you came to Australia? No, look, I was close to five years at Colorado. And after Colorado, I, I moved to Australia. So the book was actually in, in when I was in Sydney. So, okay. Okay. Uh, so the reason for moving... I think this was, was for family. I think that was a, a big driver for me to move here is to be close to family. And I think at that point, living in different continents, it just it was a time where you know I, I really felt that it would be good to be close to family. And I think with my brother sense. here, it's a good, good move. And uh, how was it uh, uh, finding job in Australia? How did you go about finding your first job here? Yeah, look, actually, I, I started, I was very keen that even before I moved, because my, my whole approach is, and, and, I, and I've always been very like, fiercely independent, right? I, I just believe that you, you should pull your own weight, pull yourself by the bootstraps. And, and to that end, I, I wanted to make sure that I have a job lined up before I move here. So, you know, that, because look, I was, I was happy working in the States, right? So it wasn't as if I was just keen to pack up my bags and leave. So I, I, I had the luxury of, of just doing it while I was working. And so I started applying. So the first thing I did, right, was, which I encourage people to do is, is make local connections. And for me, it was via LinkedIn is I started to do my research. I reached out to people proactively who I thought were working in this field were known so the other thing which I'll say, right, I was a member of, and I still am, now I'm a board director of the Sydney chapter of ISATA, which is a global professional association for security audit risk professionals. And I've been a member of this since my days in Denver. So I was always involved with ISATA in Denver. So the first thing I did was reach out to ISATA people in Sydney. Right. And this is how the power of professional association networking comes to bear. It's not just yep. like events, it's, it's like these things, these associations are global. And when you're part of it, I could reach out saying, hey, I start a Denver member, but I'm moving to Sydney. Can I please have a few minutes of your time? And I was lucky enough to get that time. And I spoke to people. They gave me perspectives on what is the cybersecurity industry in Australia like? like how is it different than the States? What should I do? Mm. How do people typically go about it? Right. So mm-hmm. I think this is where it really helped to get perspectives. And then I started applying. 
and and I and I landed my first role in Australia while I was still in the U.S. So I think that made my my transition a little bit more secure in my mind. Like obviously, nice. anytime you move, is a disruption to your life. But yeah. at least I didn't have to worry about this one thing right. when I moved here. So so yeah, that's where the Isaka connection helps, and and that is why I always tell people like. Don't underestimate the power of professional associations and your membership there and yeah. your active participation there. Active participation very important. One of my friends who moved to US from Australia, Sydney, he's been a member of Rotary Club for twenty plus years. So he went goes to a small town in Florida called Sarasota, I think, and he types in Rotary, and he gets three addresses. he calls each one of them and finally i think in a day or two he goes and joins one of them so he had a community uh, from the very beginning he went alone all alone but for him he said i was not alone i was immediately into my community which i was representing for 20 plus years in australia mm. so how easy it becomes if you are part of some sort of community which is uh global it's it's really powerful so Absolutely. i really like that so you came here now you are you are already a cyber security seasoned professional um tell me a little bit about the idea of book why did you decide to uh, write the book was it the interest uh, and or a career strategy as well yeah i think so there's a, the context behind like even before i how i decided to write the book was i always been a reader i i, I love I I loved reading ever since I remember and obviously as a kid you read different genres right you read you read a lot of fiction and that's what I used to read but then I started to read a fair bit of non-fiction and I started to read things which actually motivated me in many ways right lots of books have have influenced and shaped my thinking and a lot of uh, things which which so I, anyway so I think with, with all the reading I did always had that the desire to express myself and and the other thing was I I needed to find why like why are why why am I writing a book and and the reason for me was it came out of all the professional the presentations I used to do I I've been doing public speaking for for a long time and 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 you learn and I learned what worked and what did not work right and I started to see a negative tone around cybersecurity awareness specifically how we talked about cyber how we scared people by talking mm-hmm. breaches all the time and and how I saw in my work experience that this wasn't the effective way and there was a better mm-hmm. way Mm-hmm. So I, I knew I I wanted to express that. Now I, I also say this right: if you want to uh, to be an authority, it's not just like it doesn't just come from your subject matter expertise. It also comes from pushing yourself beyond just your job. I mean, it's your career. It's something you're passionate about. Something you need to invest time yeah. in and, and nurture and grow. But authority, if sound authority is not complete without author. So yeah. and I think that's where you, you need to author. And I'm not saying everybody needs to write a book. There are ways to express yourself. Like these days, you have so many opportunities. You could record a you know video course. You could do presentations. You could you know do so many different avenues. But for blog. me, yeah. it was a blog. Uh, a book was a big part of it. It was a way for me to want to discipline my own thoughts and 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 just put all these different ideas at on paper and just. produce something which was actually practical and implementable at the same time checked off some uh, checked off a personal goal of mine which i always wanted i i had at one point 
a switch clicked in my brain is like, I need to write a book and I will write a book and it will be done by the time I'm a certain age. Yeah. And, and I think that was that, that whole determination to make it happen no matter what. And the other thing which helped, and which is why I didn't necessarily hinge my career strategy on this, because I knew talking to people that uh, you don't rich, you don't become rich by writing a book necessarily, right? I mean, yeah. you don't you don't do that. I mean, unless there's some some genres that do, right? But yeah. not not cybersecurity in terms of what I was thinking. So it wasn't a, a commercial incentive per se, right? Yeah. It was always born like I always joked: if nobody else reads it, I know my wife will be forced to read it because she's <laughs> with me. So I think it's uh, it's just when you have that mindset where you don't really you're not doing it for others, you're doing it for you. Things become easier, and now you know the book got well received, and it. it, it is now thankfully purchased in so many different countries. People have sent me all these messages and, and I'm delighted for it, right? But it wasn't the plan. It wasn't the plan that I, I meant to get all this. So what I say is my, my theory is, like I said, a lot of books have shaped my thinking. But one of the things I always remember is compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not some who somebody else is today. So just compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Are you a little bit better than what you were yesterday? Mm-hmm. And if you are, I think that's, that's a big check. And I think that's where different things I wanted to do book was one part of the strategy uh, with all the other things. So like, will I keep writing books? No, that was never the idea. The idea was mm-hmm. to do it, move on to things which I feel are more relevant and, and more uh, and more more aligned to what excites me. Mm, and I'll come to that. So any, you said lots of books of influence, so any book or any author name that you want to mention? There's so many, right? I mean, there's so many. So I'll, I'll mention a few, actually. There are, obviously, there is, I think it's called 21 Secrets of Self-Made Millionaires uh, by Brian Tracy. There is uh, Unleash the Power Within by Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins, yeah. There is uh, 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson, yeah. There is 10X by Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone, yeah. There are so many which have shaped my thinking over the years. Uh, and when I think about some other books, which are slightly nuanced in what they do, there's a book called The Influential Mind by Dr. Tali Sharrett. There is uh, uh, Pitch Anything. There is How to Have Impossible Conversations. All of these, and they come from very different genres, from psychology to self-development to health. And I think that is where you don't necessarily read just leadership books or just business mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. I think you read books that, that trigger your thoughts in many other areas. And some books will push you. And, and they will actually, one thing which I like what Tony Robbins says, right? Take massive action. And, I, and, yeah. and that's just a general thing. Is like, don't just sit on an idea. Don't doubt yourself. Do something. Do anything, but do something. Thinking is completely useless, in my view. If you just think, good for you, but that is not going to get you anywhere. Like, you need to actually do something with it. Yeah, perfect, man. Good. And a lot of these books that you said, some I already have behind me and some (laughs) I've noted and I'll share that in show notes as well for others as well to sure. uh, look at. So now thank you for that. And coming back to the book, uh, if you could share briefly how the journey went, did you have challenges writing? Did you take any help from anybody? How did you go about disciplining yourself to write it consistently? How did you go about the publishing? So if you can give a brief for a lot of people uh, like you who had that ambition and they're just at the verge of, you know, tomorrow mm-hmm. I'm going to start and that tomorrow hasn't come yet. With your, uh, uh, you know, uh, share, it may be today will become the tomorrow, that tomorrow. So. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I think, okay. So the first thing I'll say, I'll not, I'll not say it was all easy, right? It never is. So you need to, you need to decide that you truly want to do it. Like, I mean, that's the first thing is there's not a should, it's a must. I must do this, right? So when that happens, things will start falling in place because you kind of set your goal and you need to have a time frame. You, you're not trying to 
write war and peace here. You're not trying to write, you're trying to write something specific. And that is where I think will help is think about what you want to write and just be very specific about it and, and give yourself a finite time to do it. Now, there'll be sacrifices involved. For me, I was working full time. So the time was weekends and nights, right? So you need to be able to sacrifice some of that time, which will go into it. But on the plus side, the positive side, it has never been easier to write a book. It has never been easier. You have so many platforms now that allow you to, to publish your work to, you have, even if you just go via Amazon's own, own like Kindle publishing and others, like there are ways you can do it. You don't need a you know publishing house anymore necessarily, right? So I wouldn't even worry about that just yet. Okay. I would start, I think the first thing you need to do, if you're a professional and you have an idea and you have a topic, give yourself two weekends, only two weekends. That's all you have. So you start today, you have 15 days to do all the research you want, everything. And because you will know all of this stuff already, if you're a cyber professional, finance professional, you already do this for a living. So all of these things, don't get caught with paralysis, analysis, right? Mm. Just give yourself two weeks and tell yourself everything I've researched until that point is where I'll stop. Yeah. And I'll start writing, start writing. Uh, a tip for people, if you can't start writing, record yourself. Yeah. Right. Just for yourself. You're not going to share this with anybody. Yeah. You don't worry about being right. But sometimes we can speak things which we, we, we don't necessarily have time to write. I mean, we, we are thinking True. out loud. Just start narrating your story to yourself without any, any editing at that stage. Right. Thanks to so many transcribing tools. Now, we, you know, it's, it's voice to text. So that will automatically be translated to text. You already have a draft of it now. Yeah. Auto, a rough draft, auto, but you have that already. Auto.ai is widely used these days. Yeah, there's so much, so many tools. That's why I said it's never been easy to write a book. And writing a book does not mean you actually type everything, right? You can speak, it gets transcribed, and then you have something to work with. The problem is the blank page. So don't get yeah. caught up with research, right? I, I need yeah. to learn more. Well, there, you will always need to learn more. Yeah. If you can't find two weeks to put everything you want, I think that's a problem. So I, okay. I think that is where, you know, I, I took advantage of, of just that idea. And I think that is where for me, it was I gave myself two weeks, put everything I knew on paper, and then look, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at those two weeks because then I realized for some areas, I would have to contact other people. Mm -hmm. I would need to reach out to researchers in the UK because I was thinking along those lines, something inspired me and I wanted to use that study. So reaching out to the researcher in the UK, collaborating mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that is where you need to do. But if, you, if I started my book thinking about, oh, I'll need to reach out to somebody in the UK, I'll need to reach out to somebody in the US, I would have never started. Yeah. Right, so you start, and then slowly things happen. So I think giving yourself that finite time really helps. Right. And, and once you do that, thanks to the world we are in today, you can find editors work in different countries. Right, you have all these different uh, you know portals available to you. You have all these websites like Upwork and and other freelance websites where you can find designers for your book covers. All of that is easy. I wouldn't even worry about that. Get your book done first. Get your first draft, and then reach out to your peers. Right, and that's what I did. I reached out to people who were not necessarily cyber people. Like I got, I had good friends who worked in communications and marketing and got their thought on, what do you think? Does this book make sense to you? I had a cyber person, one of my mentors in the States who reviewed it. I had a friend of mine who reviewed it. It was different people, different perspectives, but I didn't send it to 50,000 people. Mm. I, had a, I had like a, a, a small no, set of five people. Yeah. Yes. People whose value, I, whose inputs I respected and people who I knew would be brutally honest with me, right? Yeah. And people who actually were going to give me their time and not just, you know, just, just there for just being nice to me, right? So I, get that. I think once you have that, 
you have a lot of confidence that what you are, what you're putting out. But ultimately, I'll say this: like no matter who you consult, you need to believe in your work. You need to believe that what you're putting out there is something which is going to make a difference in in some capacity. That is something useful to add. That's my experience. Give yourself finite time. Be ready to make some sacrifices. And but the good thing is, if you give yourself time, I say three months. Today, from now, from three months, I'll publish a book, no matter what. You will make it happen. It may not be the best book you'll ever write, but that's okay. There are so many books in this world. Even if you write a bad book, people won't remember it forever. It's okay. <laughs> Trust me, it's okay. And, uh, <laughs> Reid Hoffman, LinkedIn founder, said, "If you're not ashamed." of your last release uh, you released it too late <laughs> okay so yeah. that's that's in the product world so book is not much different from there but yeah, anyway, book is, yeah book is typically not that bad that you'll feel ashamed yeah no that's a good point i really liked few things that you said one is uh, uh, don't get into that uh, analysis paralysis by analysis mode mm. and if you are really keen just get started it's like going from sydney to melbourne i don't need to see the whole route from yeah. here to uh, sydney to melbourne i point. just need to know the next turn such a good point and uh, as you said if you are worrying about who will edit and how will the cover page will come those are like towards the end when you are about <laughs> to reach melbourne <laughs> when you have started you just need the next turn and for that next turn you just collect your thoughts and in two weeks time and get started and when you need that next turn and if you are confused there you know whether i need to go left or right you talked about uh, talking to people you talked about your uh, mentors your researchers and that uh, strengthened your confidence from there so i mean once you start you find out this way somebody may write in a different exactly. way but exactly. that just don't worry about the whole journey just the next turn and it should be fine that's such a great analogy though the, the, the travel analogy you brought exactly right only the whole whole way figured out and i think that is where incremental progress and, and just discipline is such a overused word but it's so important small True. things that matter is these small rituals that matter it's True. just forcing yourself 10 minutes every day to write something anything but something. so how, how was your uh, schedule like and how long did it take for you to finish all in all like i said 3 months i gave myself 3 oh, months. months to finish the whole thing and then obviously i had to spend time with editing and all of the other stuff but the book itself 3 months Uh, and because I, I forced myself, I researched for a certain time, and then writing for a certain time, and then everything else will happen after that. And a lot of that was I spent approximately when I was in my research phase. I spent approximately two hours, no matter what, researching. I mean, I gave myself two hours, and whatever I could find those two hours, I would do. Mm. And and the funny thing is, once you set your mind to something, even subconsciously you're thinking about it. Like you're always thinking about yeah. it. And the thing which I say to and and which I I recommend is. when you have a good thought write it down honestly yeah. write it down don't trust your memory to remember it you True. probably will forget so and, and i use my app on my phone to you know if something came to my mind just to write it down just write yeah. it down what, and what tool uh, you used for writing i used to use evernote okay. which i was just using on my on my phone which i could sync uh, it's pretty good right you could do audio you could put video you could put text you could put picture you could put anything yeah. and everything in evernote and it's free it's for uh, most part of it I think so. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think it's uh, largely uh, it's, it's a free version and it's quite good for what it is. Look, yeah, I mean, there's so many I'll apps. The same, yeah. Right. Good. Okay. Thank no, it's good. Yeah. I wanted to know because sometimes people might take time to research about tool itself. You know, Evernote. Ah, no, no, Evernote just... is a good tool which is uh, synced across your all your uh, laptops and phones exactly. and everything. So exactly. it's in the cloud, and you don't need to really worry about where did I miss my piece of paper. It's there everywhere. Yeah, yeah. 
absolutely. I mean, this is an easy one. And I think that's where it's really important to kind of put down those ideas. Like some of the thoughts I came across with just something which I was in a, I was in a train and just thinking and just a thought came to me I was immediately put down on paper because if I wouldn't have I would have forgotten forget that. it yeah did uh, you have a, um, a fixed time and fixed schedule like every day 10 p.m. I'll sit and finish you know half an hour I'll write and something like that uh, I did not actually there's one thing which I had to be flexible because like I was work, I, I was working full time and then some days busier than others so I didn't really have necessarily a schedule what helped me though was I had a commute time. It was before COVID and before all this. It was. So you wrote in the train. Yeah, a lot of it was in the train. Awesome, man. That's a good story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like get on the train, start doing something on this, rather than spending time watching a Netflix episode or whatever else. Just just do this. Yeah, it's amazing how you can spend the whole train ride just crawling on Facebook and get nothing out of it. So I, I something which I so really. Yeah. If you had to think back, uh, what were the challenges in coming up with the book? Yeah, look, I think the first challenge was, you know, just, just just putting, okay, it was getting, pushing myself and having the confidence that this is the right thing, overcoming self-doubt. I'll say this, like the self-doubt thing will arise, no matter how confident you are, no matter how good you think you are, you always have an element of self-doubt. Am I putting myself out there? What if this is a bad book? Will it impact my career? Will people think something else? All of these things will come. There's a negative chatter always in your head, right? You gotta just stop that. You gotta ignore that and believe in yourself. So I think that's a challenge you gotta overcome. The other thing which I would say is for me to formulate the book, you know, cybersecurity is a huge area, yeah. cybersecurity awareness. And yeah. for me, the idea was not just keep it a cyber book, but connect the human behavior aspect of it. So just kind of structuring the book was important is what's the start what's the end and how do i put all these stories i want to tell mm-hmm. and then third thing was you, you immediately start thinking oh should it read like a textbook right oh should it have graphs and figures and all that again another thing right mm-hmm. analysis, analysis, and you're like no i'm gonna write this differently because this is something which is mine it's my book and, and that's where you said no i don't need all this i'll put real stories stuff which i would like to read I don't need it to be a textbook. It needs to be a short book, serves a purpose. People learn something and they move on, right? It's, uh, I think it's it's that just structuring it, overcoming doubt, and then forcing myself to your like to the earlier point of, of confining it to that month and not letting it extend beyond that. Because I knew once it extended beyond those three months, it will keep extending. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a challenge. The other thing is just you will need to do editing. You will need to give time for people to draft. You should not get too overtly attached to your first draft. Because when your your reviewers <laughs> will come back to you and you suddenly start feeling like, oh, but that makes sense. Don't get defensive. Yeah. You know, take that on and just apply that fresh perspective. I think that is the thing. Don't need to attach to your first draft. So mm-hmm. I think those are the things you kind of learn as you build that journey. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's different challenges, but the challenges are not from a subject matter expertise and, and, and putting something on paper. I think the challenges come from all the other things that you worry yourself with. And as you go through the journey, you'll figure out how do I decide my pricing? What is a good price? Is it too high? Is it too low? How do I do promotions? All of that will come later. You will find a way, trust me, with all of that. But, you know, initially you have to think about all these things, but you need to just put them in a side pocket and just start with your your book first. Good, man. So lots of insight into what works, what doesn't work while writing book and what you could do. So you actually make it happen. You know, a lot of people want to be author, but they die with that dream. And it's not that difficult. You just shared the whole idea. It's not that difficult. You know, there are some fundamental... Three months, three months is all it takes if you really are determined to do it. 
yeah fantastic so give me a two minutes brief on the book anyway i'm going to read it you have changed my mind in terms of looking at cyber security very passionately now i had a, somebody had asked me do you want to do this role once upon a time and then i said man i don't want to be policing people <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what's the theme of your book and uh, how is it i think this book the way you have explained it's not really for just the cyber security professional yeah. it's for anybody and everybody who's in business yeah i mean who's interested or, in cyber working, right so yeah. in, the name of the book is uh, you know seven rules to uh, influence behavior and win at cyber security awareness and and really the the whole idea behind this was it's, it's a book focused on the human factor in cyber security so Contrary to whatever we we think in the news is all these sophisticated attacks and hackers and all of that, the reality is most cyber incidents, over 80%, happen because of human errors and mistakes. Mm-hmm. And the idea is cybersecurity is fundamentally a human problem. So to change human behavior and to get more secure, you need to draw knowledge not just from cyber and IT disciplines, but people who solve this in, in behavioral psychology, neuroscience, economics, public health campaigns and how do you get the lessons there and apply that to cybersecurity so the book gives you a good over understanding of what cybersecurity is what you should do day to day just in terms of understanding a topic but more importantly it focuses on using principles that have worked in other areas to change behaviors of people to practice more cyber secure uh, secure, secure practices and i think that is a key bit and that is how we get organizations more cyber secure governments more cyber secure because ultimately it's a people problem and and the big thing which you know which i talk about in the book as well is change how we talk about cyber security people don't learn well and, and that's talked about in the book people don't learn well necessarily from scaring them from always talking negatives for meaningful learning and change in behavior you need to give people aspirations you need mm-hmm. to give them positive reinforcement and we this, right but this was in cyber security for the longest time, and I still see this, it's all about fear. It's all yeah, about yeah. you'll be breached and you'll lose millions of dollars. Well, yeah, but that's not the whole story. Mm. I like that. So I have uh, definitely you have created curiosity for me to read. And the way you explained for me, I felt it should be there on every business house. It's, it should be everywhere because cybersecurity is required I and mean, security is required. And you cannot really get away with this. So look, I think the one thing which I say, right, all of us, regardless of our profession, are all chief information security officers of our own homes. Yeah. The safety of our families, kids online, yeah. and the devices they use rely on us having a basic understanding of secure cyber practices. True. So it's not just an organizational problem, it's for all of us to be aware of it. Completely, completely understand that. So I'll definitely put the link of your book in the uh, show notes. Now, See, one thing is of uh, immense interest for me these days is uh, how a lot of people like you are building their career differently. So we talked about when we started this linear growth path of career paradigm is no more there. I mean, there are. I mean, that's not the only path. And I really enjoy talking to people like you who are creating their own path. So from that perspective, how has book helped you? in uh, carving your own nation in terms of your uh, getting right work offers, uh, getting the authority in the security space, how these things have changed. Anything you want to highlight which you really like how the things have happened? Yeah, I think so. That's a great point right around around the multiple parts and we started with that. Look, I I think the book was 
part of it, right? So, I mean, I've been doing speaking and presentations for a while. So the key thing is communicating. It's not just good enough to know. It's it's how you communicate and how you explain to people. That's really important, right? So the, the, with a the career path, I always believe you should not, your identity should not be just your job title. You should be your identity. You should be the hero in your own story, right? I mean, I think that is a bit, and, and for that, you need to, and, and when you are that, it's not to be arrogant or it's not to be overconfident. It's just because when you are that, you are automatically a good professional because you don't have the you don't have the the fear necessarily driving that you're worried about your next paycheck, right? You do that work because you're good at it, and and that's not the only thing you hinge on. So with the book, once the book actually opened up a lot of opportunities as well, right? Because my identity was not just whatever my job title was. My identity was also author of this book, the bestseller. Right. So I think once you have that, it opens up. People are interested to talk to you about conferences more than before. There are people who, who reach out to you. And I've had people who I did not know who reached out to me on LinkedIn from different countries and just said, hey, I read your book and just wanted to connect and thank you and share ideas. Just And you now suddenly have an audience and connections and hopefully future professional and opportunities in different aspects, areas that you not even thought about. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing is they open up doors for you which you did not think existed. And you did not know that until you wrote a book, right? So you, like to your point, you don't know the whole journey. Don't try to figure it out. Just start mm-hmm. with something. Mm-hmm. But the other thing also is beyond the book, right? Not everybody will write a book. But what I tell people and what I suggest is be the best you can in your field, not just in your job, in your field. And, and that requires you to be visible. You need to have an element of people use the word self-promotion in a negative way. And now I've said this before, I think self-promotion is only bad if one, you don't believe in what you're saying and two, you have nothing valuable to offer. If you have something valuable to offer and you believe in what you're saying, you should self-promote because if people don't know you exist, there's no utility in your knowledge, right? So you, are, you are in a way doing disservice by not talking about it. So exactly. what do you explain? If I have to break it down, I would do it in two steps. One is when you know you are good at it, why don't you wear that identity? So yes. the first part is actually being confident in that identity that I'm this. So I'm a cybersecurity professional. I'm good at it. That's my identity. I mean, identity is not your whole identity. You are a father, you are a son, and all of those things are there. But in terms of professional identity, I got that. And I'm willing to be out there. Yes. Be, so once I'm like feeling strong in my identity, I don't see a reason why I should not be feeling good about sharing. Absolutely. So I, I think the gap is in having that identity. Am I good enough? I think that's where a lot of people may not be willing to come out and share what they know. Am I good enough? So I think that building that belief uh, of, yes, I am good enough to start coming out is very important. So you do and good work. Honest, I think to your point, right? I think to that point, because we could also remember, if smart, intelligent people who have actually something to offer, who actually have worked really hard in their careers and life, be it through their degrees. And, and I know a lot of, like, obviously, I'm originally from India. And, and it's a tough education system, right? We, we study hard, we work hard, we really work hard to get to where we are. Yeah. And now to come and stop and not share and give that space to people who necessarily don't know what they're talking about. Because True. somebody will get that space. True. And it will not be you who actually has done the work. And I think that's the disservice you do. No, very well put. I think what happens is the imposter syndrome is because the individual say, if I feel like not able, not doing something, the reason is I may be comparing with someone who is ahead of me. Yes. 
But what if I think about those people who don't know anything about what I'm going to talk about? I'm way ahead of that person. And that's where my value is. I'm educating that person. So I think you put it really well. So good, good insight, Chirag. So what, what next in terms of your uh, next stage of career? Have you thought through or you're in the track and you're okay with that or anything new you are thinking about doing? Yeah, no, look, I'm, I'm always, I'm always thinking and growing, right? I mean, it's... Uh... Comfort zones are dead zones, right? So never, so I, I want to keep pushing myself. And and so in terms of what's next is I'm involved with all these, I'm a member of ISACA, I'm a board director there. I have my, my day job, I have my book and speaking. So I think for me is to continue to, you know, improve in all these areas and grow in all these areas, but also not stop there, right? So I, I've obviously done a lot of cyber work, but now... It's also the next step is thinking about with artificial intelligence, machine learning, becoming so much a part of our daily activities, making a logical connection of that with cyber, how that will change the future of work. How can professionals be ready for that future of work? What are the the pros and cons we need to account for? So starting to change thinking in that area, I think and that it has started to already force me to learn a lot more about these things in more detail because I wouldn't necessarily need them for my day-to-day job or my soccer work or my book. It's something which is going to expand in a different direction. So I think it's something which I'm keen to continue to pursue. But it's also now in the role now that I want to see is reach more people and actually do more training, more presentations, and, and more interactive sessions because the one thing which is... You know, the only silver lining, I think a lot of terrible things have happened because of COVID, but the silver lining for me, if anything, has been that I've become a lot more comfortable with doing virtual presentations mm-hmm. with a visual medium, which is mm-hmm. right now. I used to always like in person, wasn't too comfortable with the virtual thing. Now I embrace the virtual thing. And what that does is allows me to reach people in so many different countries who I wouldn't have it before. So I think I want to maximize that for myself and for the people there. Because I do believe I have something useful to share and, and I want to keep pushing myself. That's fantastic. Uh, really appreciate what you said. Is there anything else, Chirag, in your mind you th- you think Sam should have asked this question? Look, I think uh, I think the one thing which I'll say, right, is is beyond career professional development. I think the, the thing which drives people that have kind of internalized it to me is taking care of your health and taking care of your mind. And I think that's really important. 10 years ago, I wouldn't have said so much about the mind. Like you just kind of grow, you learn, right? But your physical fitness, your energy levels play a big role in how you approach a career, how you approach meeting people. So keep your energy levels high. And I think that comes from taking care of your body. But the thing which has really helped me, and and it's actually, I don't know if you read the the Wim Hof method, but Wim Hof is also called Iceman. I've been following his breathing techniques and, and the breathing techniques beyond just meditation, breathing and, and just doing that helps keep your energy levels high. There are days you will feel a bit low. We all human, right? But just getting back in that groove really helps you. So I think I encourage people to give yourself 10 minutes per day just to take care of your mind and your body, mm-hmm. right? That's the least you can do. If you can't give yourself 10 minutes, something seriously wrong with your life, right? So... I think that is something which I, I highly encourage. The, the other thing which I'll say is don't uh, underestimate the importance of of motions, like your physical activity in, in, in communicating with people, right? You need to come across as somebody who's credible. 
and that does not happen overnight i mean you need to change how you talk if you're always drooping and you, and you're not and you're always circumspect and you, you don't inspire confidence it will not help you so i think there are things like this which no book tells you necessarily you learn books will give you ideas you you need to practice them right but these are the things which are really important for people's growth and and the confidence that they get out of it so look i, I i'm not sure if this is a question or a line of thinking you were thinking no, but no, it's an important no. part of who i am no i got that whole uh, thought process i was able to relate to it so um even when i look back uh, i was comparing with those converse thought processes so i used to have serious problem with health i had arthritis when i was 18 i couldn't walk for 200 meters i used to take auto rickshaw in chennai i still remember it was so painful and uh, something clicked uh, here in 2011 i was a heavy smoker as well so i quit smoking 2012 I enrolled for a, a personal trainer certification program mm-hmm. so I became a personal uh, oh. trainer and from there the whole thing changed because now my identity was different I mean of course no more cigarettes but I started to eat healthy yeah. uh, started to take care of my body the mind thing came later and you know because I have friends who are much more what do you call thoughtful about uh, life so learned the mind set part of it from them so I have been doing all of those things in fact I look at it as four level of energy or physical mental emotional and spiritual yeah, so yeah. if we have i think there is a guy i think tony shorts or david shorts i don't remember he has written mm. a book power of full engagement mm. and he has talked about all these four energy levels and how you can keep in check all these four uh, resources so yeah i can i can completely relate to it and when it comes to communication i was thinking about tony robbins awakening the giant and all those books where he talks yeah. about when you are sad you are drooping and uh, when you are happy <laughs> you are like this so when you said all these things it was running back in my mind it's so important and it's very unfortunate that school colleges or even in job environment there is not enough yeah. of uh, uh, guidelines or training in that i think one thing if we can uh, keep sharing with our community is uh, nobody is going to come and take care of you you got to take yeah. care of yourself and uh, look at people who are doing the right things and now we are in a world where if you go and ask i'm really excited about how you do things or i really liked what you did how do you do that if i have to build it how do i build it it's so easy to do that and everybody is willing to give that idea we are not in a world is oh that's very uh, secret i'm not going to tell you <laughs> No no absolutely absolutely i think that is that is precisely it right no, no, i think yeah. you covered it really well the key thing starts with acknowledging that we are yeah. in a world where we need to take care of ourselves and you know it's like a in aeroplane your the oxygen is uh, less you need to put the mask <laughs> on yourself first and all these the communication side of it you talked about i think you covered a lot of ground if people can pick up uh, the messages you talked about reading you read a lot you talked about mentorship uh you talked about uh, communication uh, you talked about influence and authority uh even if you are the best in what you do but if you don't have any influence and authority you're going to struggle tomorrow the world is so rapidly changing and once you establish that influence and authority nobody is going to take your job because you're not after job job is going to come to you because exactly. you're well known in what you do so i talk in two different ways so one is a functional skill which is really important and we yeah. coming from indian background we focus a lot on functional skill and mm. we keep adding certification on top of certification <laughs> but we never think about becoming vital and vital is not somebody who's just good at doing the work vital is somebody who has got the influence and authority 
Yes. So uh, all of those things, you know, I kind of summarized. Yes, yeah, yeah, you covered... summarized this whole conversation so succinctly. They're not really, really uh, well done. Yeah, great. So I'm very happy for this conversation, and uh, uh, you know, thank you for taking time out and coming on. Oh, absolutely. On, on no, this conversation. I, I'm delighted, and and this has been a, a truly pleasurable, enjoyable conversation. And thank you so much to your listeners as well for for their time. And look, uh, if if anybody ever wants to reach out to me, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. Uh, Fantastic. I, I my website as well, chiragbjoshi.com. So feel free to drop me a note, drop a line, make a connection. It's it's uh, we'll all help each other. Awesome, man. Thanks, uh, Chirag. Nice talking to you, mate. Uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast with your host Ehsan Ali. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Chirag and got some inspiration and ideas on how you can build your influence and authority to future-proof your career. For me, I picked up quite a few nuggets uh, from Chirag's conversation. Reading a variety of books is a vital habit. It develops mindset. I also liked what he did in US while he was studying. Uh, which is to getting into dance and playing American football, the connections he built there shaped up his thinking and also impacted his career. Interesting, isn't it? Also, communicating to create influence is a skill worth mastering. Writing book is not the only way to claim your authority. However, building authority is a key aspect of a successful career journey today. So that's all from me. Let me know what were your key takeaways and uh, do not hesitate to reach out to me if you're feeling stuck and keen to explore new opportunities. I may be able to assist myself or connect you with someone who has already gone the path you want to take.